welcome to Mandemic Mondays. Each week, we'll be reviewing, debating the latest Netflix release, and we'll be chatting about whatever else people are doing to stay sane during these crazy times. I am Megan Harlan. And I am Mandy Kaplan. This is the only podcast hosted by two friends who agree on almost everything. I know you've totally switched the narrative since you started. I'm sorry I agree with you on everything, but maybe this episode will be different. This episode is going to kick ass. We are discussing a film this week called Monster. We are discussing Monster. This movie was actually supposed to be called All Rise, but they changed it to Monster for better or worse because there's it's confusing. Um to have another monster. There's a TV show called All Rise now, so maybe that's why. Oh, so there's no winning in any of this. Mm. Um, yeah, so we Mm-mm. reviewed Monster on Netflix. Um, I, I will take a crack at, at summarizing this. Uh, you are so good at that Megan, that I can try. Megan. Woo! Here we go. 20 seconds so on the monster. clock. <laughs> okay. You love them short. Um, it's it's a drama, and it is a uh, it's it centered around a young um, aspiring filmmaker named Steve. He's a very sweet, kind kid from a good family. Um, he's African American, living in Harlem, and he gets caught up um, in a crime. He's accused of playing lookout for a bodega stickup that uh, turns deadly, and he is put on trial for it. In a nutshell, you nutshelled the hell out of that. Thank you. Yeah, it feels this movie feels like it should be based on a true story, but it isn't at all. It's a completely fictitious story. Right. It's based on a novel. Correct. By Walter Dean Myers. The storytelling was interesting because he's a filmmaker, the character of Steve Harmon. So he's doing a lot of voiceover. Uh, and it's very intentionally like his voiceover is like cut to opening sequence, the credits roll, like mm-hmm. he's narrating it like it's his screenplay of his life, which I loved as a device. Right. And I thought, hmm, maybe this whole thing is going to be a screenplay. Who knows? And then it just ended up for me getting bogged down in a it felt like a very intense episode of Law and Order. I think you likened it to Boston Legal. It just never hit the depths that you want a film like this to be. No, I totally agree. And I I mean, the story itself is heartbreaking and um, and it did stay with me. I thought about it a lot afterwards, but ultimately the ride of watching it was so disjointed because there were these glimmers of avant-garde filmmaking or interesting devices and storytelling that never really played out in a consistent way. It was so disjointed and mismatched. And it had this astounding cast. I mean, such great actors, but you could hear the words on the page. It's almost like they were terrible (laughs) Um, because it it just, yeah, the writing wasn't quite there. Um, they They weren't set up for success to shine. I agree. It was directed by Anthony Mandler. Mm-hmm. So I uh, instantly love him because yes. my name is in his last name in case anybody didn't get that. He's done a lot of music videos, Rihanna. He's kind, he's pretty hot right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, OK. One of my first questions for you. This was a Sundance premiere in 2018. I'm sure it got right. bought and then never got released because of the pandemic. And so now it's on Netflix. When you see a Sundance selection. Yeah. What does what? What does that do for you? How does that change your your expectation going in? It it just sort of 
it, it makes it seem like this is a hidden gem that, that rises above all of the crap. And it's going to, it's just going to, it's going to be a certain level of quality. That's how I that feel. This wasn't. No, yeah. it gives me like a trust factor. And then I felt baited and switched mm-hmm. because it really didn't live up to the emotional depth of a, of a Sundance movie. And it might have been a good novel. I, I don't know because there were gaps. I mean, I, the story itself, I, I had issues with. So I don't know how the novel was, but it seemed like the movie really didn't take advantage of whatever it could mine from the novel. It just sort of skipped over a lot of interesting things and made it spoon feed. It just kind of spoon fed you the story. And one pervasive theme for me was parenthood and how mm-hmm. these parents deal. And I will say that when we when we cut to his family life, it is so over the top. It is like, oh, yeah, the, everybody's perfect. Mom is well dressed and sipping wine while cooking and having painting and banter yeah. with her sons. And then the sons are it's just too much. It's too much. It, it was like, get over yourselves. Nobody's family life is that good. The parents are just supportive and lovely and good looking. And it was, I rolled my eyes every time we were in the house with, with the family. Yes. But then so many cliches. Yeah. Then he's arrested and he's in, and he's in custody and he's, I guess, charges have been filed and dad goes to visit him in jail. And Mm -hmm. there is a speech, Pete at 2540 that I found very powerful. When you were born, I thought of all the scenes of your life. You playing football, just like I did. You going to college, just like I did. Dating a beautiful girl. Someone just like your mother. I even thought of, I even imagined being mad at you for a bunch of stupid shit. Things any kid does. But I never saw anything like this. just never crossed my mind. It never crossed mine either. So that's the dad saying, you know, we we have an image of what parenthood will be like and what our kids will be like. And this isn't ever what I expected to be sitting here right. in a visiting room with my kid and he's in jail. And I liked the way it, the movie dealt with the parents. They definitely doubted his innocence, but stood by him. You, you know, it wasn't that yes. blind, like, not my baby. Yes. And that anxiety that uh, I'm sure every African-American family feels just being the color that they are, that no matter how how they do life, there's always that chance they're going to get caught up in the system and that fear and just telling him pull up your pants and you know mm-hmm. don't go through the park and just she's watching the news because you know she wants to know who's wrapped up in this latest crime and just that anxiety was very profound i have often in a weird way because my child casey is perfect in every way 
So I don't have to worry about this. But I've often wondered, I guess, because I like true crime so much. Mm-hmm. Like, what would I do if the police came a knocking and said, your son is being accused of a horrible crime? I mm-hmm. think about that type of thing a lot. Do you ever? Am I crazy? I take a vacation, it's like free childcare <laughs> during a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is one way to do it. Uh, no, it's, I mean, look, yeah, I, the night of brought up a lot of that mm-hmm. for me too, not even just for my own children, but even for ourselves, like what if you were caught up in the system and you know, what a nightmare and every step you take could land you in, you know, your life could be over. Right. And the night of. Let's review that one instead, because that dealt oh, with it so well, and, so well and has your boyfriend in it. Oh, my my hall pass. Yeah. But that's what I wanted this movie to be. And this never got there. I know. And it's unfair to put that on this movie because that was such a brilliant, you know, show and it dealt with different issues. But yeah, this this just like doesn't compare and it could have. Yeah. I thought there were missed opportunities. Like if we are living on the outside and he's on the inside. I wanted to see how life went on on the outside. I wanted to see like what the brother had to say. He has maybe a eight-year-old brother, nine-year-old brother. Never a scene where the brother is saying, is he coming home? Did he do it, mom? Nothing. We had no effect on the brother, apparently. And then we get a lot of glimpses into his life at film school with Tim Blake Nelson playing a normal character? What? (laughs) Never seen that. I was like, oh, this guy's going to turn out to be a whack job. And turns out he wasn't. And I thought, I want to see class when Steve is already in jail. And how does the class handle the loss of him? And are some students questioning his innocence while others are defending him? I thought that would Mm -hmm. be really interesting. We just sure we didn't get to see the world outside without him, except his perfect parents hugging each other. And when we did see the world with him, if you're going to use this device that he's a filmmaker and he looks through the world with his own aperture, play that up. Like, let's see from his POV what it's like to be the defendant. But it was all shot so crime, you know, Boston legal, like I was saying. I didn't even feel like I was in his head, which was such a missed opportunity because he's supposedly this like filmmaker who's and and I will say like one of the scenes that I felt was refreshing that I wanted more of was at Pete 46 minutes, 25 seconds when they're playing chess with the with the older man in the park. What what did he achieve even though he didn't trust? I mean, I guess he found out you can't trust nobody out there man. No, that, that's part of your life. Man, old time, man. Can you stop dropping jewels on us and play the damn game Do already? Do you know that if you wanted to get to the top, uh-huh. and let's say you found a tiger, and he says, I'm going to ride that tiger up to the top. Nobody's going to bother him. He mounted this tiger. When they got to the top, he wasn't there. Where was the fucking, where was the people? The dude was inside the tiger. Mistrust. How was he inside the tiger? The tiger ate his ass. You can't ride a tiger. (laughs) 
He trusted the tiger, didn't he? <laughs> Clearly that was improvised and he and the older man was speaking you know, authentically and to see the main character, Steve's like face light up when he's filming and it was felt so real. I wanted more of that. And that never played out. And, and if, if this kid's, you know, sees the world as a filmmaker, like I just never believed him. It's funny. I didn't think that scene was improvised at all. You, and you, you felt strongly. You said clearly it was. It didn't feel improvised to me. It was, it was shot with such a heavy hand of like Steve filming too close and back, you know, and backing up. And why the reason I liked that scene and I liked it very much, Steve gets wrapped up. Oh, I'm not going to remember the character name, but his buddy on the streets, who is one of the masterminds behind the, the, robbery. He, Steve really likes this guy. And this guy is a hardcore gang member, ghetto uh, character. And they don't seem to have anything in common, yet there is a deep connection between these two guys. And that scene playing chess with the older gentleman was the chance to humanize that character, not Steve, but the friend. I, I wish I could remember his name. King? Wasn't his oh, last yeah. Name King? That was King's mm-hmm. boy. That was King's boy. Yeah, mm-hmm. King. King was very charming in that scene. And he like appreciated this old guy playing chess and he had a sense of humor and he was, uh, it just, for me, that showed me why Steve was drawn to him. Mm -hmm. And I thought that scene was really strong for that reason. Right, yeah, also true. Which brings me to, um, so I'll admit I read a couple of reviews just to sort of see what what the the reception was like. And, And one point that a reviewer made, a failure of the story was that the message at the end is that Steve is not a monster. King is a monster. The mm-hmm. the attorney actually says those words. And that message to me is a failure because it's it's perpetuating the stereotype that you know there are like this is what a monster looks like. It's not talking about the system that has failed this poor child who did do the crime um and that to me was a shame to walk away with that feeling like this is this is an african-american kid and he's not a monster because this is you know what a, a not a monster looks like right unfortunately this is a terrible thing to say uh, by that point my eyes were rolling and i wasn't so into it anymore so i i wasn't gripped by the ending I mean, yeah, that's where I was appreciating the movie a little bit is because I was relieved that Steve didn't get convicted and that signaled that the movie was resonating on some level if I were to forgive the poor execution of it. Let's delve into some of those poor execution points because I I just felt that there were many of them and that Mm -hmm. they would they would have been easily tweaked to make this a more Mm -hmm. powerful, believable story. One of my biggest pet peeves, surprise, I have a pet peeve. I'm usually so easygoing, (laughs) but they, in stories, and I'm not a lawyer, I'm not sure how this actually works, but the lawyer, it's at an hour and 12 minutes and 11 seconds. So you know, it's getting towards the end of the movie. It's the end of the trial. Brand new idea. You're going to have to take the stand. That's right. got to just be a movie trope, right? That doesn't really happen in real life where the lawyer just comes up with it. And then so tomorrow you're going to take the stand. Surprise. Yeah. I mean, I think so much about the courtroom and so many 
shows and movies is really I, I've heard that attorneys are not even allowed to like pace and walk in front of the the witness like they have to stand behind their desk. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that. So there goes any authenticity in the courtroom. You just and ruined every... Inherent the Wind for me. <laughs> Sorry. That's um, that's what ruined it for you? Yeah. Hey. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, courtroom dramas. And this one was pretty tropey. There was nothing about it that was new. Although I did find it interesting. And I made this observation late in the movie. And then I didn't care to go back and see if I was right. Was everybody only wearing black and white throughout the whole movie in the courtroom? There was a line in voiceover where he draws attention to the fact that everything was black and white and there was no gray. And so, yeah, everybody in the courtroom was wearing black or white, but the whole set, the very beautiful courtroom, might I add, I've never seen such a beautiful courtroom, was all gray. And those scenes were very thematic. Yeah. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, hitting you over the head with it. Like, are you getting it, people? It's black and white. Are you getting it? Yeah, we got it. Yeah. I don't need the lawyer in like a black and white uh, block pattern turtleneck to tell me that that's what we're dealing with here. But when you're picking up on that theme, are you thinking race, black or white? Or are you thinking because the other part of this is the ambiguity of is he really innocent? And that's a gray area because he did not spoiler alert. (laughs) He did play a role. Mm -hmm. I thought it was both. I thought Mm -hmm. some art director and the director sat down and then they had that epiphany about let's make everything black and white. It'll mean this and this. And I felt the filmmaking. I felt their decision and it felt icky. And I mean, I must say the the color correction was beautiful, even just purely aesthetically in the courtroom, but even in his home life, like the sort of warm rainbowy colors of the home and um, his parents, like everybody looked beautiful and just the magic hour sort of um, Harlem streets. It was pretty. Yeah. It's interesting. We watched two movies in a row and this is just occurring to me now that the our protagonist was a filmmaker using mm-hmm. their their iPhone to to right. they saw their world through their iPhones and i thought the mitchells did it so much better she used her iPhone to express herself in all these different creative ways what mm-hmm. i got from steve harman was that he knew how to put a grainy effect and do a lot of annoying quick cuts of his girlfriend sweet talking him That's what I got from Steve Harmon. I did not see a visionary filmmaker. Right. I wanted his his talent to be stronger. And then I wanted that to be the thread throughout the film because there was also a disconnect between his filmmaking, quote unquote, and his voiceover. I mean, it didn't seem like this was the same artist. You know, his voiceover was was just so narrative and slow. But his filmmaking was very TikTok and grainy. The voiceover was like the strongest part to me. The he, the, things were phrased really well in his voiceover. He had one speech mm-hmm. about how teenagers commit crimes every hour and no one says anything, whether it's like jaywalking or loitering or speeding in their cars. Or he, He's like, think about it. As a teenager, every teenager is breaking the law all day, every day. I, I was like, that's a very interesting observation and an interesting way to defend like, well, where where do you cross the line? All I did was go into a bodega and come out and wink at my friends. Right. 
but that's all in the voiceover. That wasn't really how the movie presented itself. Yeah. So they, they, maybe they, those lines came from the novel, you know, mm-hmm. the better written piece. I was very disappointed um, because anytime you have a chance to tell this story and celebrate African American artists and filmmakers, um, it's just a shame when it's not done well. It is a shame. And his parents were played by Jeffrey Wright, who's a giant in the theater world, and Jennifer Hudson who looks 14 years old. She looked so stunning, but... So good, but too young. Too young, and I thought she reverted back to her Sex and the City bad acting days. I thought she was terrible in this movie. Yeah, she, well, uh, yeah, she she did stand out as feeling very actor 101. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think anybody was given a chance to really shine their talents in this movie, unfortunately. The lead was good, though. Calvin Harrison Jr. He was very good. No? He is very... Yeah, he was very good. He is very good in, in other things he's in. I just think that he, even he couldn't transcend the weaknesses of the writing and the directing, and I could see him working too hard. And yeah, I don't think he meant to. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Uh, before we give our manned jobs, I want to say that at the very end of the movie, when they're re- really recreating the crime, finally, the sign mm-hmm. on the front of the bodega says, do not enter with a mask or face covering because it's in Harlem and, right, they... The, well, it actually said a hoodie or, oh, or, a, ma- or, a, or a mask. A hoodie or a mask. And I just thought right. that was so interesting pre-COVID. All signs now yeah. say, cannot enter without a mask. And this said, do not enter with a mask. You won't be allowed in. And it just jumped out at me as a same, you know, uh, fond memory of pre-COVID times. Yes. When you commit a crime. Side note, don't you think crime has probably skyrocketed because people can just say, oh, I'm wearing a mask and walk in and rob a bank? I thought about that. Do you you want to rob a bank together? It's so easy. I have so many masks. So easy. All right. Let's figure that out. We'll make a movie about it. We'll we'll have Fabian bail us out of jail <laughs> and represent we'll call us. We'll it Manster. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. Time for our manned jobs. Okay. Coming off such a high last week. Oh. You want me to go first? I don't know. I blah. Well, I'm like two and a half man jobs. Oh, okay, good. I was going to say two man jobs. Um... And to me, that's because I did, it did stay with me and it made me think. And it was a great cast. That's why it's not one or in the blue ball territory. Not blue ball. There were enough things about it that were well done. But I I guess that 2018 Sundance label had me thinking it would be a lot better. Right. Well, now we know. Damn you, Sundance. You've done it again. So, Mandy, I don't know if this is cheating, but I um, I was reading reviews for the movie Monster, like I mentioned, um, just to kind of familiar... Not cheating, it's showing off. Yes, I was trying to find a solid review that I could trust of the movie to kind of help inform my own experience with the movie. But I was getting so overwhelmed with so many different reviews out there, and I couldn't tell who was legitimate. It's just a lot of noise out there when it comes to movie reviews. Yeah. And if you had just gone to Letterboxd, 
then I could have just told you what to think, which is so much easier, right? Yes. If you used the URL truestory.fm slash Mandy's, that's M-A-N-D-Y-S, that'll take you to Letterboxd. And it's like an online forum for movie lovers and the movie community to review films. And that URL that I just gave out, what is it you ask? It's truestory.fm slash Mandy's, gets you 20% off upgrading to a pro account or a patron account. So no way. I'm looking at it right now. This seems like a very user-friendly, clear place to go. It has been called the Goodreads for movies. And I think that's a very accurate analogy. You can do the basic account and it's great. But if you use that promo code and you upgrade to a pro account, you get rid of third-party ads, you get more options and stats, and you can track films that you've been watching and pin your reviews. And then if you upgrade to the patron account, you get all of that. Plus, it's like fancy. You get your name and lights on the patron page, plus the undying gratitude of everyone at Letterboxd HQ. It is a fun place to go if you love movies. And if you want to shout out to the Mandys, come to Letterboxd. Thank you. Oh, I wish I knew about this days ago. Thank you. (laughs) You're so very welcome. What else have you been doing to stay sane during the pandemic? So, um, as you know, I have two young children, five and two, almost two, and I work full time. I'm very tired. Mm. So I have been every six weeks or so taking what I'm calling sleepcations, where I book an Airbnb uh, for myself for a night within town, like a mile from my house. I check in as soon as they'll allow me. I order dinner and I get into bed. I eat it and I about seven o'clock, fall asleep oh, and I sleep yes. till about 7 a.m. the next morning. And I wake up with packets of soy sauce and grains of rice in bed <laughs> and I don't care. Housekeeping might I, care, honey, but don't, don't, don't worry about it. You do you. <laughs> I clean up after myself. Um, I wake up. I can turn on the news and actually hear it. I can take a poop. I can, you know, just be me mm. without anyone asking me for anything. And and I love to do it in town. You'd wonder like, well, why not go somewhere far away that you can explore? But it's almost like me reclaiming the places that we always go to as a family that I want to enjoy so I can go alone and do what I uh-huh. imagine in my brain doing when I can't. Uh-huh. So I hit all the spots, all the coffee places, and hold a cup of coffee with a hand and not have anybody else handing me things and dropping things. Yes. And it's, uh, I mean, I would love to do this with my husband and go together, but in these times we have to divide and conquer and take care of ourselves. So I'm a big fan. I highly recommend it. Yes. That sounds delightful. 7 p.m. though, is. that is, that's getting into my mom territory. Yeah. And, and it's surprising to me because I don't realize it's going to happen until it happens. And I'm like, <laughs> here we go. I can fall asleep right now. There's no drugs or alcohol involved. I just, it just happens. That's where I you're making body, a big mistake. You should I know. just get high and drunk and tear that place up. 
I've thought about it, but the rest that I get without anything else is so worth it. Yeah. No, that's a very different kind of sleep. When you sleep with no help in any way, shape or form, it is a satisfying feeling when you wake up that morning. Yeah, I need because I need to be refreshed so that I can return to the family and make them see that it was worth it. And I feel a little guilty because my daughter knows now how much I look forward to it and she gets excited for me and I feel kind of bad that she's like... I think that's so important that our kids know that we have our own needs in our own lives. Yeah. You don't want them thinking that like, oh, mom's life just revolves around my every need. Right. It does a lot of the time. So... Yes. I just think that she sees the level of giddiness that I get that she never sees any other time. Um, so except when you're recording this podcast, except that. Yeah. So yeah, I highly recommend it. And I'm going on Saturday. And what I do is I, I message the Airbnb person, the host, and I explain what I'm doing. So I get so much love as a working mom and nice. And not that it's like manifested in any freebies vodka right <laughs> but uh but i just like knowing that they know what i'm up to that's great i i would yeah. very much like to do that very much um but instead i on mother's day wanted to and loved going to baby goat brunch in los angeles tell me more it is a website called feverup.com which does lots of live events and online events. Uh, But if you go to feverup.com and you enter baby goat brunch, you come up on on this thing. And uh, I was totally taken. It passed me on social media and I love animals and I love brunch. So I was completely taken with the idea of baby goats. Mm -hmm. We pulled up into a proper functioning ranch in a a place called Old Agora, like up in the Calabasas Hills. Mm -hmm. And you you have no cell service. You leave the grid. You leave life behind. It's horses and land and really special and different. And then we get to the goat pen and the guy says, okay, here's your cup of feed. When you go in, they might be a little jumpy. Go. These were not baby goats. These were aggressive, adult, <gasps> pregnant, somewhat angry goats. And my poor no. son, Casey, was like, oh, they're attacking me. Take my food. I don't want the food. And yeah. The, so it, again, bait and switched. Sundance, like this was, I felt a little baited and switched. And I went back to the website to look. And the pictures are all of teeny tiny little baby goats. But they didn't have, they had two babies that I'm putting in quotes that you can't see through my microphone. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the two babies, you could pick one of them up and it would let you take a picture with it. And then the other one was like, get away from me. And the rest Mm -hmm. were aggressive, angry, pregnant adult goats. And I got to say, I loved it. I loved every (laughs) minute of it, every stinky, dirty, dusty minute of being with the goats. And Sapphire, honey, if you're listening, I'm here. <laughs> yep. Oh, there she is. I bonded with Sapphire. We we played with the goats. Then we go went and had our brunch. And then when we came, mm-hmm. he's like, you can go back in if you want after brunch. And we wanted to. Only our family went back in. So it was like mm-hmm. much calmer and really okay. special. 
And I walked back in and Sapphire made a beeline for me and she wanted to lick my face and just like be my best friend. And so I definitely felt like it was a really special connection. And I mean, you know me well enough to know I just love animals and I love goat cheese. There was quiche. There were jalapeno poppers stuffed with goat cheese. I was going to ask. Yeah. And you love angry pregnant anythings. (laughs) I do indeed. We were praying one of them would start labor and we could like, I could city slickers it and be there to yank those baby goats out. Yeah, I would have done it. But then as we were having a brunch, a cat, the farm cat wandered up and jumped up and curled up in Casey's lap. And so he was the happiest. And then when, when we went to play with the goats after brunch, like the farm sheepdog. I don't know what kind of dog it was. It was so fluffy and sweet that the dog wanted to play with Casey. And by that point, he was a little over the goats. So it was like we just, I don't know, bonded with animals and nature. And then we went for ice cream after because it wasn't a lot of food and not a lot of food Casey would eat. And we get out of the car at the ice cream place and Jer says, oh my God, we stink to high (laughs) heaven like goat poop. I mean, we were covered in dirt and dust and the stench of goats. So sorry to the city of Calabasas where we went for ice cream after. The same place you took Casey for a date when you came to see my show. Jenny's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, most of Calabasas has Botox. I don't know how well they can smell anyways. Oh, does Botox affect your smell? I know COVID does. Uh, Oh, right. Well, hopefully it's not COVID. Yeah. So that's what I got to do. I got to be one with the goats and I would do it again in a heartbeat. If anybody said to me, that sounds like fun. Can I go too? I would take anybody. It's expensive. Can I go too? Is it it expensive? It is expensive. So it's like a special event thing. It's not like a, Mm -hmm. let's just go once a month. But Mm -hmm. it was, it it was lovely. Um, Did anybody sneeze? Any allergies? Not that I noticed. revealed? I'm curious. No, but I do have a, a COVID tip. I walked by a family trying to take pictures of themselves around their table. And I said, would you like me to take a family picture? And I'll text it to you because you can't hand your phones over during COVID. And right. And mm-hmm. they were like, oh, my God, that's so nice of you. Could we do the same for you? <laughs> Creepster? No. <laughs> I, so I took lovely Mother's Day portraits for them. And then they took them for us and we texted them to each other. And that is a way to get good family photos during COVID times because we don't all our family photos are like me and Casey or Jer and Casey. They're never the three of us together. Have you been texting them ever since? I teased him, of course, as we were saying our goodbyes. I was like, I'm going to call you every five minutes. And I, I was so tempted. And I almost texted the family picture of them to my mother-in-law. Like, happy Mother's okay. Day from us. And then she would have gotten a picture of three people she didn't know. So this is a terrible idea. It's a wonderful idea. I love people. I love goats. And I love the book, Woman in the Window. And oh, yay. See what I did there? I can't wait. See what I did there? Yes. I lost you for a second, and then I, then I gotcha. We're going to watch Amy Adams and Julianne Moore. That is like two of my favorite actresses ever in Woman in the Window on Netflix. Everybody's got to watch this one. I think it's going to be. Thank you. Yes, I'm so excited. Mm-hmm fun and salacious and I know did you read the book no all right well you have a week (laughs) love you all right love you too bye bye